Uh, so it is April 30th to 2023. The world is counting time by Jesus still. I want to thank Don McGinty for asking me to teach this series. You'll be listening to this later. I sure appreciate Don and Norma. Don's one of the one of the great encouragers I've ever met. So thank you, Don. Let's have a word of prayer and we'll begin. Dear Father, we're grateful for this day. We know it's your gift. You are the one, as Paul said, in whom we live and move and have our being. So we're grateful uh, for this time you've given us again today. We depend on you completely. We ask, Father, I ask for your leading in our lives. Pray that we'll have wisdom to see the doors you open. Father, last, uh, last week as we talked about our government, we do pray for leaders that you would give us leaders who respect your authority and who are people of integrity and wisdom. We ask for that. And we see how Israel was judged as we talked about last week with the Roman the Romans coming and destroying their city and their temple and their nation. Pray for spiritual hearts in our country, Father. Each of us uh, knows, knows different ones, friends, families, co-workers, uh, family members, neighbors who are struggling with physical, spiritual, emotional needs. We know that you know all of those and we pray, as you know, hearts of men and women, that they will look to you for direction and for your help. And we thank you again for this time and for Jesus, and it's in his name we pray. Amen. So Romans 14. So today, the plan, and, uh, the plan is to do 14, 15, and 16. <laughs> what? Uh, and the reason for that plan is that uh, we, we plan to start the next three weeks. You'll hear a little bit later in the service about that, the next class that we plan to have May the 7th, 14th, and 21st. Uh, so stay tuned for that. Uh, Paul is facing a challenge in Romans 14. Uh, he spent a lot of time in the letter talking about the Jews and the Gentiles and um, how God has brought the Gentiles into the Christian family in which it was actually his plan all along. Going back to Genesis 12, 3, when he gave Abraham the promise that in your seed all the nations will be blessed. So way back, of course, Christ, Peter tells us, Jesus was slain before the foundation of the world. So God's plan for the world was, uh, was already set before anything was actually made. 
Uh, Paul's dealing with a situation here in Romans where he has a clash of cultures. You know, at, at Pentecost, there were thousands baptized, and then in the following weeks, thousands more and thousands more. So the church grew exponentially in the first few weeks there from Jerusalem and other places. Uh, but over the next 30 years, when this is written somewhere around A.D. 60 or 60 to 62, a lot of Gentiles have come into the church because the gospel has gone all over Asia Minor. It's gone into Greece, Syria, Greece, Italy. A lot of different folks have come into church and they've brought a lot of their opinions and traditions along with their belief in Jesus into the church. You're, you're reading from left to right. So they brought a lot of their traditions, opinions, and culture w- along with their belief into the church. And that creates conflicts and uh, a strain, if you will. So uh, the key, uh, one of the key passages in Romans is actually Romans 12, 1 and 2, where where he is telling the believers, he said, you are to present your life, your lives, your body, your life is a living sacrifice to God. That's your reasonable service. Why is it a reasonable service? It's the only thing that makes sense and you owe it because of what God has done for you in bringing and forgiving and putting away your sin through Jesus, through the sacrifice. Making you co-heirs with Jesus, Romans 8, 15 and 17. Co-heirs. Adopting us as his children and making us co-heirs with Jesus. I can't begin to even try to talk about that. What that means. So, So our response to that is that we owe God our lives, our bodies as living sacrifices. What else? That's all we can do. If we could do more, we should do more, but we can't. So give your lives to God. That's your allegiance. Now the, the challenge that we have, and we've not been persecuted much yet in this country, But the challenge we have in America, in American Christianity, is we're pretty comfortable in uh, going to church from time to time, being pretty good people, saying, I believe in God, and then going about our lives most of the time. Being a pretty good person, but really it's a challenge... uh, a human challenge, we tend to live for ourselves a lot. Um, I could nearly start to preach on that, but I'd, of course I'd be starting with myself, and we do have to cover three chapters, so we'll just go on. I'll let you preach to yourselves. Um, So that's the premise in chapter 12. Give your lives to God. He comes into 13 and says, you know, if you're giving your life to God, you don't need to be involved in civil unrest against the government. Obey the government. He says that. The Caesars are in power. 
You may think this or that about our government. I, I think that about it. You may think this about it. But he says, obey the laws. And this is when Caesar's in power. So these are not good guys. And then he says in verse 8 of chapter 13, leave sexual immorality, leave jealousy, and stop quarreling. Stop quarreling. And that's how he starts verse 1 in chapter 14. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him not to quarrel, but not to quarrel over opinions. Don't quarrel over opinions. When have we ever done that? Really? When have we quarreled over opinions? Churches split over everything you can imagine. Literally. Don't quarrel over opinions. So how do we proceed when we have different views on matters? Don't quarrel over opinions. Now it's discussion. That's, that's good. Discussion. You have a view. I have a view. Let's discuss it. You feel strongly. I feel strong, strongly. Let's discuss it. It goes to another level when we start quarreling. Discussion goes to another level when we get into quarreling. And he says, don't quarrel. Because what's going to happen when we quarrel and it's not solved? Well, we know what's going to happen. There's going to be a rift At best, you sit over there and I sit over there and we just don't see each other and we don't speak. We just agree to have nothing to do with each other because we don't like each other because we quarreled and we couldn't solve it and each one thinks the other one is just stubborn or whatever. You see where all that goes. That is not love. <laughs> Thirteen and eight, I go back to thirteen. Oh, no one anything except to love each other. Don't quarrel. Last part of that verse, he said, "Don't quarrel over opinions." What does that mean? Don't quarrel over opinions. Opinions are like armpits. Eventually, they all stink. Richard says, "Opinions are like armpits." I've heard they were like elbows. Everybody has a couple, but he takes it further. They're like armpits. Eventually they stink. Did I say that right? Opinions stink. Well, they might. What is an opinion? What's he talking about here? Don't quarrel over opinions. What's he saying? You think it ought to be this way. I think it ought to be that way. Steve. Many times an opinion is an interpretation. The way I want to interpret a scripture, what I want it to say. Uh, let me give you five things here. Uh, th these may be helpful. But how do we proceed in handling different views? 
uh, you have a view, you tell me what it is, and I don't agree with it. What I want to know, first of all, is what verse are you using? Where's the verse? Not where's the beef, where's the verse? Now, I only see a couple of blank faces. Most everybody remembers. What was that lady's name? What? Clara Peller. Carolyn, you get the you get the grand prize. Dave said it first. Clara Peller. Where's the beef? Where's the verse? Isn't that where we should start? Now, "idn't" is not really a word. I'm from Arkansas. Uh, we do spell it there, I-D-E-N apostrophe T, "idn't." But isn't that important? Where's the verse? And then secondly, what's the context that that verse is in? Doesn't that have impact on what the verse is talking about? What's his context that he's discussing there? The next thing I would want to know uh, is, does your opinion or my opinion violate a command or a clear statement? And that also goes back to where's the verse. But all verses are not commands. So once we get past where, why do you have that opinion? Well, I, this verse is why I have that opinion. Okay, okay. Uh, does that violate a command or a clear, a clear teaching? Is that in violation, your, your conclusion or my conclusion? If it's not violating a command or a clear statement in Scripture, clear teaching, then maybe, well, it's okay. You've got an opinion, I've got an opinion. And neither, if neither one violates a command, we bear with one another. Another question would be, does it conflict with the message or identity of Jesus? Is your conclusion or is my conclusion is it in conflict with the message of Jesus or the identity of Jesus? If it is, then it's a bad opinion. And then another thing that should be considered, let's assume I'm right on my opinion and it differs from yours. And I have the support to win, win the day with my opinion. The question is, is it worth, is my right to do something, is it worth the upset that it may cause? Not all decisions and opinions, they may be perfectly permissible by God's standards, but then I should ask myself, is it worth the upset? Is it expedient? I've got freedom to do this. Now, is it expedient? What is the spiritual impact of me following through with my opinion or my view? What's the spiritual impact on others? Is it worth the upset? Sometimes we have the idea that, well, I don't care. I'm, I'm going to do it. It's, it's my right. I'm just going to do it. Well, good for you, Mr. Maturity. Is it worth the upset? Or am I showing love if I approach it that way? 
course, there's this, there's always the three-word comeback, three and a half words, and I've already said it. Well, I don't care. I'm going to do it. I think we're missing, with that approach, I think we're missing the gist of what Jesus is about and what Paul is going to say in chapter 14. I think we're missing the point, if that's my attitude. So, opinions. Where's the verse? What's the context? Does it violate a command? Does it violate the message or identity of Jesus? Is it worth the impact that it might create? Go back to 13 and 8. Owe no one anything except to love each other. So he goes on. One person, verse 2, eats, believes he can eat anything while the other while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains. Let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls. So we get into judging Verse 3, passing judgment. Verse 4, who are you to pass judgment? What is meant there about passing judgment? Richard said condemning. Drawing a conclusion that is negative and it condemns. Judging. Other thoughts about what judging is? We are told to judge. We'll get to that. We're told to judge. Hold that one. We're talking about judging in the sense of verse 3, 4, 10, and 14. He says don't judge in verses 3, 4, 10, and 13. In this instance, I believe it is putting another truster down because they don't agree with you and you say you're not right you are going against something that I think is correct and you're putting them down lower than you which is not to be taught putting uh, Richard says putting another believer or truster down for having a different opinion we're not talking about doctrines we're not talking about commands. We're talking about opinions about this or that. In this case, it's whether to eat meat or not eat meat. Putting them down in a judgmental, in a condemnatory, I don't know if that's a word. Judgment, putting someone down. I, and the way it is used here, I believe, well, first of all, let's go back to the definition. A judgment is an authoritative decision, a conclusion in the context of what we're talking about here. It's whether something is right or wrong. 
a decision has been made. Judges do that. We call them judges. Guilty or not guilty. So it's a decision about something. It's no, no okay if you do this or okay not. It's a decision. That's right, that's wrong. And so when is judging wrong? I would say as is used in 3, 4, 10, and 13. Assigning a motive or a heart condition For me to say Fred is wrong in his opinion, <laughs> I'd be wrong if I... Fred has very strong feelings about his Dodge Charger. And he thinks it's a sin to wash his Charger on Tuesdays. I don't know why he thinks that. I'm stretching a point. But if I say this is right or wrong, I'm drawing a conclusion on what is in a person's heart. And you know what the scripture says? Only one knows what's in hearts. God knows, God searches the hearts. God told the prophet Samuel, you're looking at the outward appearance, I'm looking at what's on the inside. These first six or seven brothers, nope, they don't have it. That little kid over there out with the sheep, he's the one I want. His heart's right. So when I'm judging over an opinion about what's in your heart, I'm going too far because I don't know. You, in this case, you don't eat meat or you do eat meat. And one says, you're sinning. The other one says, no, you're sinning. Judging what's in their hearts. I'm putting a motive of what's in your heart when I make a judgment and say, you know, he's wrong about that. I don't know what's in your heart. There may be a lot of reasons, things going on that I just don't know about. God knows. So he says in verse 4, who are you to ju pass judgment on your brother? God's the one. He'll, he'll judge. Uh, it's part of living. But I'm, you're gonna, you say something, I immediately have an opinion about what you say or you have an opinion about what I say and we, make a, we draw a conclusion of some sort but the judging he's talking about here is when we attach spiritual implications to it. And we say, you know, Eric Dormany, he's just, he's just wrong on that. I just don't agree with him. I'm judging what's in it. I don't know why he has that position, but I'm judging what's in his heart. He's not really, he's not really doing it. He's not really uh, conscientious. He just says that. And, and so God says, you don't know what's in a person's heart. He says, don't judge four times in chapter 14. What's he meaning? He's talking about assigning a motive to what's in your heart. And I don't know what's in your heart. And he says, God's accepted both. The, non, the vegetarian and the meat eater, God's accepted both. So don't judge either camp. And so you can apply that principle to, what, to so many other applications. He says, he's God's servant. God will... God can make him stand. You don't have to pass. Why do I want to pass judgment on somebody? Well, it's usually, I mean, why do I feel the need to be critical? And boy, it's so easily done, isn't it? Why do I feel that need? He said, no, let's love instead of passing judgment. But we are told, as Jeff said, and Richard, I think, earlier, we're told to judge. So if you want to look at uh, 1 Corinthians 5, 
And it's 12 and 13, he says this. He says, you're responsible to judge those in the church who are walking in evil or darkness. You judge them. He says, God will judge the outsider. And then he says, you expel the evil one from among you. Well, that's a judgment. Based on Matthew 7, 15. By their fruits, you'll know them. That's Jesus' comment. So I'm not judging you in terms of trying to assign motives to your heart. If I look at you and I watch you on a videotape rob a store, and I know the scripture says stealing's wrong, you rob the store and leave, I see that, I know that, I say, that's wrong. And he or she didn't repent, they should be dealt with. They're known for shoplifting over and over. That's wrong. That's not judging. That is in the sense of don't judge each other. When he says don't judge each other, 3, 4, 10, 13, he said don't so you can under, so you know what's in their heart because of an opinion they have. But Jesus says in Matthew 7, 15 and 16, beware of false prophets, you will know them by their fruits. So some things are not judging the heart, it's judging the fruit. And Paul, as I said in 1 Corinthians 15, judge those in the church who are sinning with remove the evil person from among you. And he'll say it in Romans chapter 16, 17. Watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine you've been taught. So based on a person's life and what they do, sometimes it is necessary primarily for the church leaders, for the elders, to make a judgment. There's a process. You go to the person, you talk about it. You bring a witness, you talk about it. And if they won't quit shoplifting, if they're living with someone and they shouldn't be and they're not married and everyone knows it, that's immorality. Two witnesses. Two. Two or more yeah, multiple witnesses. Well, Elders have got a responsibility there. We have to look out for each other. So in love, we talk to each other, we encourage each other, we pray for each other, and when there's a problem, we say, brother, sister, uh, we need to talk. And we do it in love, not in a condemnation. Thank you. Do it in love. Yeah, you come up with something from time to time. So, attitude and approach, so important. The whole theme of the book is about love, but part of the love thing, good morning, part of the love part is preserving the family, spiritual health of the family, and the spiritual health of the person that's been drawn away. Now he goes on in 14 in verse 7 and he says don't li- we don't live or die unto ourselves 
verse 7. None of us lives unto himself, none of us dies unto himself. In other words, we have a responsibility to the body. We have a responsibility to those around us, and in particular, to the family. You don't live to yourself, you don't die to yourself. Everybody has an influence. Everybody has an impact of some sort. We're all being watched. I mean, you've got opinions about the people you know in here. You've got opinions about them, what you think about them. Uh, we're building, we're build every day, every interaction we have, we're, we're, we're logging a video file of who we are for those around to see. Intentionally or not, that's, that's what's happening. Everybody has an opinion about Scott and Amanda. Phil and Rachel. It goes on and on. We don't live unto ourselves. We don't die unto ourselves. We live to the Lord. And we're responsible for our influence on our brothers and sisters. And then the circle around that, our neighbors. And we have responsibilities. Richard. I think this is where you can bring back in the analogy that's used of the body. There's unity in our body. If our body wasn't unified, we couldn't walk, we couldn't do a lot of things. Yeah. The same thing is with Hashem's body. It needs to be united. It should be caring about every. If my finger hurts, I take care of it. The same way with the body. Mm -hmm. If the finger hurts, we need to take care of it. It's the, the analogy of the body, Richard says. And we, we take care of our own. It, I like the analogy of if my body's a, in, I have a cousin right now who's recovering, trying to recover from his second stroke. His left arm and his left leg are not working because of damaged signals from the central. So he can't walk. If the body's not in harmony from all the way down, it can't function as it's intended to. And the same way in the spiritual body. I would say to us, Jesus' words in Matthew 5 in the Sermon on the Mount, where he talks about blessed are those that are poor in spirit and those that uh, mourn and who are meek and who hunger and thirst after righteousness if that is my mindset if that is what I start with as I begin my day I have number one I have a proper attitude toward myself because I'm not so hot uh, my opinions are not the, the, the best opinions about every topic I just don't know everything and though sometimes I act like I do I don't if I have that mindset of poor in spirit and meek and gentleness and hungering and thirsting, hungering and thirsting after righteousness, I won't be as quick to fuss with Mike or Leah about their opinions and attack, attack, attack. Why would I want to argue with them? I may want to discuss something in love, but why would I want to argue when I understand my place what Jesus told me to be like, to be humble. Take away a lot of quarrels, wouldn't it? So he says in 10 and 12, uh, well, let me go back to 9. Yeah, let's look at 9. 
Christ died and lived again that he might be Lord both of the dead and the living. Um, Lord of the dead and the living, those who have passed physically into the next realm, they're not dead, they're just in another uh, status. You know, the Mount of Transfiguration, Jesus is talking to Moses and Elijah. Paul says, it's better for me to go and be with Christ. He's alive. He's the Lord of the, those who are alive right now and those who have lived previously and are in another state. He's the Lord of all of that. He keeps repeating this theme that he's using um, back in 13, now 14, 13. Let us not pass judgment on one another any longer but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother or sister. Then he goes back into the food analogy. Act out of love, not out of your rights. Look at verse 19 and 14. So then, let us pursue, 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 pursue what makes for peace. Let that be what we want to accomplish, not to prove them wrong, not to win them over. Maybe we will, maybe they will. But the goal is to pursue peace because of love and mutual upbuilding. One responsibility I have to you is to encourage you, and you have the same. Now, we'll go back to my hobby horse. How's that? All right, I want, I want your attention. So what do I do? How do I get your attention? I would stand up on the chair. That's what I used to do, but I might fall off of it now, so I won't. Mutual upbuilding. I need to care enough about Danny to find out what his name is and to say hello. It's not asking too much. I need to care enough about Steve and Rachel. They're new. I don't know them. I see new faces. What are we going to do? Church, what are we going to do? Mutual upbuilding. We're going to encourage. We're going to get to know them. We're going to say hello. They're great people. I can tell by looking at them. Look at that. Look at that. <laughs> That's my opinion. <laughs> so, Paul, let us pursue what makes for peace and mutual upbuilding. Says the Hebrew writer, says in Hebrews 10, 25, we know the verse very well, don't forget, don't forsake meeting together as some do, but encourage each other more and more as you see the day drawing near. Encourage each other more and more. I want to really encourage Amy, so what am I going to do? I'm going to stand over here, and I'm going to think good thoughts about Amy. I'm not going to go meet her. I'm not going to shake hands with her. I'm not going to say hello. I'm going to, I see Eric. I want to encourage Eric and Jennifer. I'm not going to go to the trouble saying hello. I'm just going to go on about my business and talk to this person. But I'm thinking good thoughts. Is that doing any good whatsoever? No. Okay, we move on. 
chapter 15. You can cover chapters really fast if you just skip a lot of verses. So that's what we'll do here. Chapter 15. Oh, yeah, we're going to make it. <laughs> we'll skip a lot of verses. Uh, first five verses here in 15. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good, to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as written, the reproaches of those who our reproaches fell on him. He didn't live to please himself. Verse 4, what was written in the old days was written for our instruction. Then he says that through endurance and through encouragement the scriptures of the scriptures we might have hope. Then he repeats it, verse 5. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another and in accord with Christ that together you may have one with one voice glorify God, the Father of our Lord, Jesus Christ, our Lord. The God of endurance and encouragement. Life is not always a piece of cake. It is not always easy. And through history, God's people, to be faithful, have had to endure, to keep their faith under trying circumstances. That's called endurance. I'm discouraged by my family members. I'm discouraged by this or that church member. I'm discouraged by my inconsistencies. I'm discouraged by my health. I'm discouraged about my job. And it just goes on. But he's the God of endurance. Stay faithful. Keep your eyes on me. Stay faithful. And encouragement. Because you have a great future. Paul writes about the one who raised the Lord Jesus Christ will raise us also and present us with him in the Father's presence. That's great encouragement. We have a resurrection ahead of us. We have a future ahead of us, whichever way you're looking. Christ was raised from the dead, the first fruits, and then when he comes back, he says all of those who are his will be raised also with indestructible bodies. Raised in power, raised in glory, raised indestructible. Be encouraged by that. We've got a great future. We can't make it happen. We depend on Jesus. That's who we put our faith in. And he says, as my children, I'm going to make you like Jesus. Philippians 3.21. 20 says, our citizenship's in heaven. When he comes back, we'll be made to look and be like Jesus. Glorified, resurrected, bodies changed. So be encouraged. Endure, stay faithful, keep the main thing the main thing. That is the main thing. And be encouraged about God's promise to us for our future greater than we can imagine. Verses 8 through 13. We got three minutes. We got a lot of time. 
verses 8 through 13, he goes back, reviews the history there with God working through the Jews and then to bring the Messiah and to bring the gospel to the Gentiles. And he says, he does, he says three, there's, there's a couple of things about the Father that I want you to know here. He's truthful. This was promised long ago. He's brought it to pass. He's truthful, dependable, and he has mercy. He has great mercy. So he says in verse 13, May the God of hope fill you with peace, joy, and peace in believing by the power of the Holy Spirit so that you will abound in hope. That's your future. That's our future. In God's promises. So we put our faith in the truthfulness, dependability, and mercy of God the Father. We put our trust in that as we look forward to the fulfilling of his plan through Jesus. Chapter 16. The close. Paul talk, he gives greetings and salutations and such to those he's writing to in 16. And he talks about his plans to go to Jerusalem and then to stop in Rome on his way to Spain. And he closes with this in verse 25 through 27. And we will close the class with this. Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages. What was the mystery? The mystery was God's work in Jesus. How God would bring salvation to us through Jesus. But has now been disclosed through the prophetic writings and has been made known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith to the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Hey, I'm Eddie White, the senior minister for the Eastside Church of Christ. Sure want to thank you for joining us today on our podcast. I hope today's message was indeed a blessing to you. I'd like to invite you to browse our website at eastsidesprings.com to get more information or to contact us. And as always, we indeed welcome you to join us for our worship service in Colorado Springs as we seek to live out Jesus' mission of making disciples of all nations.